You're listening to Data Plus Love. I'm your host, Zach Bowders, and I'm here today with Tableau Senior Product Manager, Philippos Limperopoulos. You might have seen him if you've watched or attended either of the last two Tableau conferences. In 2019 in Vegas, he was the highlight of Devs on Stage, and he gave, uh, I think, Bryce a good run for his money at Devs at Desks in uh, Tableau-ish 20. How are you today, Philippos? Hey, Zach, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk with you because like you were one of the highlights of my last in-person conference, like on Devs on Stage. Um, not just because you introduced some cool stuff like you know, doing set control and buffer calcs, but um because your your personality is like really effervescent on stage, like you were you were really into it. And I know that you have to, you know, rehearse that stuff and get it like nailed in advance and everything, but it really felt like you're just up there, you're demoing this, you're happy to be doing it, having fun. So I'm really excited to be talking to you. So thanks for coming on. Totally. Thank you for having me. So I have a lot of questions for you. None of them pre-planned and many of them will probably pivot in the middle of this. So bear with me. This might be like a severe ADHD session. Um, but, uh, may, may, might be interesting at the end. I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work through it. Um, <laughs> so you have been at Tableau for about three years. That's right. I, I, uh, I looked you up on LinkedIn as well as having previously been like an intern there. So you went to an engineering college. Did you know, um, what your career path was going to be when you were getting your education? Or is this something that just sort of came your way as a result of your internship and realizing, hey, this is a place I would like to work and something I'd like to do? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I had no idea where I wanted to land after college. I had no idea what job, what company, what industry. It was, it was, it was completely up in the air. Uh, and, um, you know, my college, Olin College of Engineering, really allowed me and, of course, my, my fellow classmates to explore our interests throughout the summers we were there. So we would go and intern at different companies, um, doing different roles to see what sticks. So my first few summers, I was actually interning as an electrical engineer and a software engineer at different companies. But then uh, junior year came around and one of my good friends there, Zohar, had interned at Tableau the previous summer uh, and he loved it. So I kind of went to his room one night and bugged him to tell me more about Tableau. And he described me his internship, the people he met, the way the company worked. So I asked him for a um, referral at the time. So, you know, long story short, I did my internship there and I fell in love with the people, the product, um, just the, the, the environment at, at the Tableau uh, office. And um, it was pretty much a no-brainer after that to go back. But uh, it was certainly not a path that I had planned when I joined Olin or um, that I was certain about throughout. That's that's pretty cool. I mean, it's so many people's career paths are really varied and um, nonlinear, maybe I might say. You know, it's it's very different from like I hear my parents' generation and so many people sort of got on at a company after college and then worked there for like 30 years or at least even stayed in the same industry and changed jobs once or twice. But now you see people, you know, I have a, uh, a best friend that lives one neighborhood over who is a French major and he's a, he's a data guy now. So uh, it takes all sorts uh, and everyone sort of comes together in their own way. And, you know, who knows where you'll be in uh, 20 years, maybe a Tableau still, maybe not. I'm not saying anything. Don't listen uh, to this Francois. Um, 
but yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. I think you are my second Tableau employee ever to have on. I'm counting Mark Bradborn ahead of you. Yeah, he's sort of grandfathered in because uh, he was like a data fam guy long before he was a Tableau employee. So you are like the the, uh, the honorary first. We'll say that like you can be the first uh, Tableau employee that uh, didn't sort of kick in through the data fam. So let me ask you this. Um, what does a senior product manager do um, at a software company like Tableau for people that aren't familiar with the role? Totally. First of all, uh, I really love Mark and um, I try to bug him every other day about questions and, and, and customer insights he brings to the company. So really glad to have him on our team. Um, what does a PM do at a technology company? This, I think this really varies based on the company, the team within the company, uh, the, the feature area you're working on. Uh, so, so I'll try to, to describe, I guess, the, the generic definition that I think applies to my job as well, which is, you know, the product manager role is basically um, a role that tries to understand the, the main customer pain points in the market and the opportunities for a company to go uh, and so forth, while at the same time working with the engineering team and the design team within the company to find out the best way to provide those solutions. So, you know, my typical day is going to be something like, um, I'll talk to a customer in the morning and that customer can be an enterprise customer, can be uh, an independent consultant, you know, you name it. And my intent there is to just soak it all in, understand what they're working on, what's what's tough to, to, to figure out with Tableau, what they love, what they hate about the product, why they choose other products, these are ours. And, really taking time to understand the underlying needs of the customer, because sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll ask for things that make a lot of sense, but we can certainly do better and provide them not just the one thing they're asking, but this and more. So, you know, have a customer go in the morning and then sync with the team to make sure we're staying on track with the stuff we're building for the next release, then have some solo time to pretty much form my thinking about what happened in the morning <laughs> And then meet with a bunch of other product managers, designers, sales consultants, you know, throughout the company to, again, understand what's happening, where we should be going next and planning ahead. So That's it's really fun. Yeah, it's just working with a, with a great team. Like the thing about, I love about Tableau is that every single person in the company is, and of course, outside the company too, the data found community are so inspirational and um, it's an absolute pleasure to work with, with all of them. So uh, let me ask you this in terms of managing a product, like you're talking a specific aspect of the software, like for you, uh, does that change over time? Or I know you've done multiple things on sort of sets. Is that, would that be considered a product or are there sort of sub layers to that? Yeah. So, so I'm a product manager in uh, three teams now. So I'm in the interactive analytics team. Um, I lead the Viz kind of pipeline infrastructure team and also part of the spatial analytics team. So sets fit into the first category of kind of interactive analytics. So there, um, we are basically thinking every day, okay, how can we make interactive computational analysis easier, more accessible uh, in Tableau? And a big part of that area are for sets, parameters, you know, filtering and highlighting, right? But also actions and selection and kind of thinking of ways to connect these worlds in ways that make sense to customers and their problems. So, you know, sets have been a huge focus for us in the past couple of years. 
it was very much a feature we hadn't touched for a long time. We hadn't really improved in a while, but um, it kind of came up after hearing folks ask for ask for dynamic parameters. We we tried to understand what are people really needing in the in this particular ask. Okay, they want to contextually filter data in the view. They want to be able to select multiple values from that data and see those in comparison to other elements uh, in their layout. So nobody nobody was asking for a set action or a set control, but we wanted to give it a try, see how that sticks. And you know, it's you know the team has been really happy to see the community adopt those new feature enhancements, and hopefully they they add a lot of value uh, to what they do. That's pretty cool. I know dynamic sets in particular when that was unveiled at the conference was a big crowd cheer moment, uh, which. Is it might be hard for people to understand if they haven't attended a data conference, uh, especially the Tableau conference in particular, because like, I mean, there's all sorts of people, like people might think of a data conference and they're imagining like hardcore nerds, but there's senior vice presidents there. There are people that just sort of got told to go by their manager. So people that are listening to this podcast right now are probably in the top five to top 1% of enthusiasm for data products. So the fact that in an auditorium seating to 15 to 18,000 people, like there was an audible like cheer from the crowd tells you like how much of a game changer that was going to be for a lot of people. It was, it was insane. I remember, so back in 2019, I was on stage presenting those features and, uh, you know, from that stage, you can't really see the crowd in front of you. Like it was what, 20,000 people in that stadium. I couldn't see uh, past the first five rows. But these are the five first rows that you know you'll see kind of feedback and excitement from, right? So uh, you, you are all there, and, and uh, it, it was just phenomenal to, you know, to, to see the reaction to a story we're telling about data that could be impactful um, in so many applications. And uh, yeah, like seeing that was certainly very gratifying. Now, of course, right? We always try to to improve what we ship and. Um, Quality is really important. So throughout the past few releases, we've been trying to enhance those features. But yeah, we always look at the community, man. Like we always want to make sure that what we build makes sense. Uh, get your feedback. And yeah, if that's a cheer at the conference, uh, it, it can be better than that. I loved it. <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave that stage. It, it was that exciting to see people, you know, understand what was coming. Uh, it, was, it was really cool. So in terms of like presenting at the conference, I mean, was that intimidating for you? I mean, did you know, I guess once you did, you probably did a couple of run throughs and you probably know, knew I can't see that far. So if you could actually see 20,000 people, that's a little different, but like, uh, what's it like sort of gearing up for that? And do you know what you're getting into when you first sort of sign on? It's, I think you certainly know what's coming because you've seen it before. Uh, and you certainly don't feel ready. I was certainly, so when, when I was asked to do this in, I think it was September, end of August of that year, um, you know, Francois got us together uh, and kind of he explained what, what it's going to be like, that we will not be ready, that we'll feel stressed when the time comes. So I was certainly not feeling prepared in the beginning. And I just want to clarify to, to your listeners too, like, I'm not a public speaker. I've, I've not been really doing these things. Um, so it was a great challenge. But at the same time, you know, I trusted the process. So Francois and, and, and Kate and, and Andrew and all, all the folks that kind of 
help lead these keynotes, prepare you really well. We had weekly syncs with uh, our team. We practiced with a speaker coach that was amazing. <laughs> and he would kind of help us ace the body language, the, the way I pronounce um, vowels, which I was really bad at in the beginning. <laughs> He's like, Philippos, you're trailing off the sentence. Please keep the A's up. I'm like, okay, I'll do it, Richard. Um, so yeah, it's, it's body language. It's, it's kind of making sure your intonations are correct, is nailing the jokes and kind of iterating through, through them every week. And of course, it's practicing in front of people. So we practice every week. And eventually, when it came the time to present on stage, it didn't really feel different. You were ready. I, I didn't feel stressed. And I don't think any, any person in the team felt that way. You kind of knew what you had to do. You knew your steps, you knew your jokes, you knew your pauses. Um, and, um, you know, we did practice that day with the stadium empty. And it, it didn't feel different because you kind of knew what you were doing. Uh, I will say that. So first of all, I will encourage anyone out there that is interested in just becoming better at public speaking to, to seek opportunities that allow you to do so. It may feel very challenging in the beginning, something you've never done before, but it's so rewarding. It's probably one of my best experience at Tableau thus far, hands down. Um, and when you're up there, again, like you, you have this high, this feeling of, I really don't want to leave the stage. Um, you know, this is kind of, this is amazing. You know, I remember I was halfway through my talk and uh, I knew I had, I don't know, five minutes or 10 minutes left or whatever. Uh, and I was trying to cherish every single moment. So hopefully we'll be back soon and uh, um, we'll have TC in person again. I hope so, man, because I actually went back and rewatched your 2019 devs on stage, like in advance of us talking today, because I remember it being one of the highlights of the conference for me. I was like, wow, like, because everyone was saying like out of all the devs and, and everyone always does really well, like you looked like you were having so much fun. And as a result, everyone else was having so much fun. Like it's, it's interesting to see like the mood that you sort of bring to the equation, like it, uh, people feed off that. And speaking of public speaking, like, um, one of the things that sort of changed how I thought about public speaking, because I was always afraid of it was in high school, I took an acting class for a semester and having to perform regularly in front of people, you know, I mean, they're high schoolers, right? Like they're not the most friendly audience. Um, having to do that weekly in front of your peers really opened me up to public speaking in the sense that once you sort of speak, think of speaking or even conducting a meeting oftentimes as performing it really sort of changes the energy you're bringing to the room. And even though you might not always be absolutely certain of everything you have to do, you can project the certainty that you need to bring to that equation to make everyone feel confident. So like if you're in a meeting and you're conducting it and someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer, having the confidence to say, you know what, let me follow up on that rather than like, I don't know, you know, which if you project fear, they feel afraid then also, just like when you were projecting energy, like everyone else was feeling it. So, you know, by the fact that you were um, going through so many iterations of that and sort of building the muscle memory, both in terms of how to speak and enunciate in the way that you're being coached, which frankly I could use because I have to listen and edit these podcasts. And I hear myself dropping vowels at the end of words and often trailing off which may not carry in conversation, but when someone has to listen to it afterwards might affect the overall quality. 
Um, that's, that's pretty awesome. I had no idea the prep was so intensive, but it certainly pays off. And and I will say, right, like there's an entire team behind the presenter. Sure. You know, I was on stage, but so many people did such great job throughout that one month, one and a half month duration before the conference that, you know, the credit goes to, to them. Like it's, I couldn't do it without them. So uh, shout out to, to all that team. I mean, the whole production of the entire conference is such a feat. And my first conference was actually two years prior to that. um, And it was the year of the shooting in Vegas, which was, you know, a huge tragedy. But the Tableau conference, I believe, was a week or two weeks after that, like right on the heels of it. And if people don't remember that, it was there was actually a shooter in the hotel where we have the conference shooting across the street at a concert venue. To the point where, you know, like the windows were still barricaded uh, on the, that top floor of the room he was in the, at the time we had the conference. And I remember in advance of the conference, I hadn't been before, so I didn't know what to expect. A lot of people sort of rumbling online saying, oh, well, they should reschedule or move it. And uh, I was like, yeah, they could probably do that. And then when I got there, I'm like, there is no way to reschedule or move this. This is impossible. I mean, I it just the amount of setup, the amount of space that's used, uh, the amount of you know, prep that it takes, the fact that the whole company has to come out to even make it operate. And then I'm sure even hire a lot of extra support staff uh, to be able to conduct it. Like it would have been impossible to like pivot and turn away, but it turned out to be an amazing experience. And uh, uh, despite the tragedy, um, but yeah, it's, it's, if you have not been before, first of all, I don't know why you're listening to this. Like, I'm sorry, you must be confused all the time. Um, It's such a big production and Philippos is really good at muting himself when he laughs, by the way, like um, he's he, he laughing <laughs> at me now. But no, um, that's another thing. Like during your presentation, you were laughing a lot. And I'm like, if this is like he's having a good time or he thinks his own jokes are silly or like this is his nervous habit when he's like uh, in front of 20,000 people. I, I do laugh a lot. That That is for sure. <laughs> no, it was just it was just the the feeling of um so if first of all it was the jokes that for the first time you had some feedback at a large scale so you kind of said oh that's actually a good joke uh, but um it was just the excitement man i think uh, uh it, it's hard to it, it's hard to to fake that i think when you're up there and um again hopefully we'll be back soon last year's tc was phenomenal too because um it wasn't in person, right? But we got the chance to meet so many more people virtually. Like that was kind of a big plus for me for from TC ish. Um, you know, we had all those like all those uh, big Zoom calls with folks after the day was over, which was so much fun. And uh, you know, the uh, the doctor appointments were really fun too. Uh, you know, I think going forward, some some hybrid version of that conference is going to be very successful. I think so too. I think it allowed a large audience that might otherwise never have viewed or never gotten sent. I mean, it's not cheap to go to the conference. Um, the tickets are expensive and Vegas is not cheap to go to. So if your work's not ponying up for that, um, it's a major expense to go, even though I know from my experience, I would always come back with so many new ideas and so much excitement for my work. Like that's hard to sort of quantify. Totally. I mean, our, our we, we say internally that our year basically resets every TC. 
we don't start the new year in January. We start the new year right after TC. Everyone comes back and they're just so energized by the customer interactions and, and insights we leave the conference with. I would argue that a lot of ideas uh, about what we do next come from the conference, from all the conversations we have with customers there. So it's 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 a really it's a monumental uh, piece of our year. That makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you this, and this is a huge uh, pivot and tangent. So yep. you were born in Greece, and Greek is your native language, right? So what, did you learn English as a second language as a child growing up in Greece? Yeah, exactly. So we started learning a second language around kindergarten. Um, so I picked English at the time, and we learn a third language when you are in fourth grade, fifth grade. And oh, wow. usually the options are, yeah, usually the options are German or French. Depends on the high school you're in. So I picked German, but unfortunately I haven't kept up with it because I don't really speak the language on a day-to-day basis. So it's something I want to get back to at some point. You you unintentionally picked very pragmatic business languages. Like if you if you wanted to go in the artistic direction, French would have been the way to go, but going with English and German, like you're going to do well, you know, with business transactions in your life. But yeah, that's interesting. Like um, in the U.S., we we do do second language in the public schools, and obviously we have public and private. So private schools all have sort of their own methodologies and stuff. But in public school, a lot of kids don't get their first exposure to a second language until middle school, which is like 13 or so. And by that point, like you know, you're you're already slowing down and checking out a little bit. But if you'd started in kindergarten, you might be uh, in better shape. So that's interesting. Um, and was that like the Greek public school system that you know they do the second language that early? So I was in a private school, but I believe public schools also do a second language very early. Um, it's um, it's actually really, it, it's a big piece of, it has been a big piece of my education growing up. Like my, my parents tried to send me away in the summers to different summer camps um, outside Greece to understand, you know, a different culture, get to meet people outside my country. And eventually those experiences during that that selection of summers led me to the U.S. and led me to Tableau. So it's really funny to look back and attribute a lot of that path to small pieces along the way, right? Small, small nudges that uh, my environment provided me with. So very grateful for that. I could say as a parent of two that they didn't send you away to enrich you. They, they sent you away because they're like, we're so tired. Like, oh, God, like <laughs> if he asks for one more thing, like, what if we tell him it's cultural? <laughs> Like this is enough. Like we we we've had a we've had a tough half year. Please let's go away and come back in a bit, please. It's like we will love you so much more <laughs> when you're gone. When when you come back, we'll be so excited for for those that first month. And like then I'll be like, oh, man, he's leaving Gatorade bottles like on my nightstand. What's up with that? You know that that happened to me the other day. I have a nine year old daughter who suddenly has the attitude of a 13 year old daughter and uh and everything you say is oh dad and it's like yeah um i'm gonna send her someplace cultural <laughs> is is greece accepting uh moody nine-year-olds with <laughs> dyslexia oh my god <laughs> but, but yeah like I, I that's that's really interesting so is your first uh journey to the u.s was that for college so we visited with my parents and my sister back in 2004 or five, I believe, for vacation. So we traveled around the East Coast 
and actually made it all the way. Now that I think about it, we made it all the way to Grand Canyon. So actually, not only the East Coast, but we did New York, um, Orlando, Miami, and um, then headed over to the Grand Canyon. So that was my first exposure. And then I came back for um, a summer camp in my, I believe it was 10th grade. And um, after that, basically, I had to decide, okay, where do I want to go study? Is it going to be the UK, the US, let's stay in Greece. So I was applying to a bunch of schools in the US, and I found this really tiny engineering school, Olin. And nobody knew Olin in Greece. It was a complete, like, it was, it's a, it's a very small school. We only have 80 kids per graduating class, and it's only undergrad, so it's tiny. Um, but I applied because their curriculum was very unique. There are no exams at Olin. It's all project-based. Wow. And um, it's only engineering. So basically, you enter this really productive technical environment that it's okay if you know nothing about coding or mechanical design or you know electrical systems, you'll learn it along the way. But it's extremely focused on exposing you to as many things as possible and getting your hands dirty. So Owen was kind of the, of course, the ultimate US experience for me because I, I didn't have other Greeks there for me to, to talk to. So I became really good friends with a bunch of folks from the US and they taught me a lot about um, their life and, and kind of their aspirations going forward. Very different from what I had experienced in Greece. Uh, and yeah, because of Owen, I'm, I'm a tableau. And because of my tableau, I'm speaking to you today. So it's, it's kind of a, a beautiful journey. So that's in the Northeast, right? Correct. Okay. So you moved there from Greece, which was probably three, 4,000 miles. And then you moved from there to Seattle, which is probably another three to 4,000. Which three to 4,000 mile move was the bigger adjustment for you? Like in the, is the internal culture in the U.S.? Uh, different enough from one end to the other that it's like a, Hey, I wasn't expecting this. Or was it like first hitting the U S and sort of, you know, as, as like an adult now, like not as a kid and seeing like, okay, this is most of my exposure has been on va vacation or from TV and movies. And now I'm here. What was like the bigger adjustment to you? Oh, tough. So I think they, they both felt organic because they all felt like natural progressions of the, of the previous stage. Certainly going to Owen was the, the bigger move uh, mentally for me because, you know, I was, I was moving away from my parents for the next four years. I didn't really know what college was going to be like. I had no idea if I wanted to actually stay at Owen. Like I always had in my back pocket, okay, I have deferred the school in the UK. If I don't like Owen the first year, I'm going to leave. This never happened. But, you know, I was in this weird uh, crossroads. So Olin was certainly the, the more difficult move. Uh, moving to Seattle was easy because I had been here interning the summer before, so I kind of knew what to expect. And I also knew the people I was going to work with. So I had experience um, knowing the team I would join. I don't know if you've had the chance of meeting Amy Forstrom. She, is a, she was a PM at the time and now she's still in the, in the development team. But Amy was just like, she's a sweetheart and, and I love her. And, um, you know, she gave me confidence basically to want to come back. So I, I had no doubt that it was going to be a fun ride. Now, did I expect um, to do the things that I've been able to do at Tableau, you know, both in terms of feature development and exposure with customers? No, I had no idea what the job was going to be like, frankly. <laughs> um, so, 
So, yeah. So one thing I love about your engineering school is the fact that it being project-based is so directly preparing you for actual like work. One thing um, I did my MBA immediately after completing college, which at the time was kind of to my detriment. So when I was finally looking for jobs, I didn't have the experience to show. I just had like a lot of education. But one thing my MBA program did really right was it was almost entirely team-based projects, which at the time feels like absolute BS. Like, why are we doing team-based projects? We did this in undergrad. Like, this feels like a BS excuse for the professor to not have to grade 30 things and do six things instead. But in reality, by making everything team-based projects, you're most accurately simulating what the real workplace is like because very rarely is something entirely in your control in your custody. You're always sort of negotiating who's taking which piece and you're depending on other people to get their stuff done in time. You're, you've got this, this whole chain of custody and there's always somebody that didn't pull their weight quite right, but it doesn't matter. You still have to get it done. Um, so yeah, like I think that's really excellent like that they just got you ready for work by just having you work and do stuff, oftentimes on stuff you hadn't done before. A hundred percent. And think about kind of the data world too, right? Like at Tableau, um, I'm never presented by my, you know, direct management chain or from a customer with a specific quote unquote deliverable, right? It's more about here's a bunch of problems, <laughs> figure out how to solve them. So that's also pretty much a set of projects you have to reason about and you know, especially now that Tableau is getting more, you know, it's expanding its suite of products and, and we're not part of Salesforce, um, the problem space grows even larger. So we have to be thinking really hard about what are the projects that we need to focus on? Who do we need to involve to get those done? What are the most important problems in analytics today? Um, and, and what are the right forms of kind of um, unification of experiences we need to do to make it easier for everyone to, to understand their data? Uh, so I, I totally agree with you. It's you're always going to be thrown at something you don't know much about. So you have to figure it out. And I think that's part of project-based learning too. Yeah, I, I get that on my end as well. So as someone responsible for, you know, delivery on data-based projects, sometimes you have someone that really knows what they need and they'll have created requirements. And sometimes they'll even have a wish list of, hey, make a view that looks like this. And in those cases, oftentimes it's sort of my job to not only look at that and interpret that as what they need, but sometimes push back and say, don't tell me exactly what to show. Tell me what you need to understand and I can help you understand that. And then you have those other cases where you might have a client and you're working with them and they don't really know what they want. And it's your job to sort of come in in the middle and say, okay, I'm going to start throwing some stuff at you. And we're going to see what delivers some value here. We're going to iterate, right? We're going to, we're going to um, rapid application design this stuff. And I'm going to show you things and you tell me what makes sense and what doesn't. And we'll get to some place of value from that. So yeah, it's like the different approaches. And oftentimes you don't have a clear finish line on a project like you'd hope, because that's really the thing, right? Like when you can't measure what success looks like, it's hard to actually be successful. So Sometimes you have to start, you know, without an end in sight and then sort of come up with the end midway. A hundred percent. And then the great thing about kind of learning through projects is that you also learn how to cut things. 
right? So you may have some aspiration of, hey, I want to get X thing done um, by then, but turns out that after you you kind of investigate more of the problem, it doesn't really seem reasonable. So how do you scope the work down to achieve incremental value? And that's what we do all the time at Tableau. And, you know, we, we don't, we ship quarterly. So, you know, there's certainly some lag between releases, but ultimately it's really important to ship stuff that are on their own valuable and bite-sized content um, and, um, and hopefully improve them gradually. Absolutely. And I mean, from my perspective, in terms of deliverables to a client or something, the quicker you can get out something is usually preferable. So like if there's something really robust that they want, but it might take two months to accomplish, if you can parse out some stuff and get them some stuff at the end of month one that shows them some value, you're going to build that goodwill down the road to the next thing that they want to deliver that's more difficult. Because if oftentimes if you can't show what you're working on, the impression is you're not working on anything. Like, especially with data, when most of your efforts might be on the back end in terms of getting your data in line and stuff. And uh, like using Tableau as my front end for everything, like I might not have anything to show you yet because I'm trying to make, you know, join these different disparate data sources and account for all the we weird oddities going on. And, you know, people don't want to hear like, yeah, I've been working. And they're like, can you show me? I said, you know, I, I could, it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, so that's why, you know, the, the quicker you can actually stand up something visible, and Tableau is excellent for this, um, you can uh, gain that goodwill because, yeah, it's it, people don't deal well with what feels like imaginary concepts. This is so true. This is so true. And, and what I'm also encountering uh, very frequently recently is there's going to be a customer with a problem and they want the kind of result to show visually very quickly, but turns out that a hard analytics problem is most of the times a hard it's like a data modeling problem yeah so it requires us to leave the world to leave the visual layer that we're comfortable with seeing and doing the work behind the scenes so you know part of something that i really want to have us think about a lot in the upcoming year and of course discuss with the community too is how do we bring the two worlds of prep and modeling and analysis closer together how do we keep the customer in the flow of analysis uh, without having kind of this context switch that mentally is challenging for, for many people. Um, so yeah, and how do we do this incrementally to, to our point about projects uh, releasing gradually? Well, that is a unique um, situation to be in and I look forward to seeing how you deliver on that. So I'll stay tuned on that one. So um, if there was something that you could say to the listening audience of, you know, a couple hundred people regularly, um, yeah, most of which you probably already know from uh, community type events, what would you want them to know either about you or your job or Tableau or just in general? Ooh. I mean, the community is in many ways so much better than me at Tableau that, so, you know, my first reaction is, just keep playing with the product, keep trying to find the ways it, it works, it breaks, it succeeds and and try to inform us about the things you would like to see in the product. This can be via blog posts, by pinging me directly on Twitter or um, just basically, we want everyone to feel that we're in this together. I, I'm not sitting at my desk every day saying, oh, we should go do this because I think it's important. No, it's all about what the community helps us realize is important. So I would just encourage everyone to, to 
spend time with a product. I think there's like this linear relationship in my mind between time and motivation when it comes to Tableau. The more you have of one, the more you'll gain of the other. Uh, so just keep playing with the product, keep letting us know all the things you would like to see in it. And don't be afraid to kind of push the boundaries of what is possible today. If you have a crazy idea, just share with the community and people will, will you know, either contribute to it or call out why perhaps it's not going to work the way they expect it to, but it's just worth putting it out there. Awesome. So let me ask you this as we're heading towards the end, and this might be a spoiler. You might not be able to say anything. Should we expect any presentations from you in the next conference, whether it be virtual or physical? Uh, I, I, I don't want to say that. So I will certainly present something. I just don't know what that is going to be yet. Um, it, I don't know if it's going to be a keynote or a breakout session, but I will 100% um, try and, 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 and deliver something that um, helps me understand better a space, but also brings people into that understanding as well. So I'm looking forward. To, I can't wait for TC season. Let me tell you that. Like every time after the summer ends, I can I kind of have this this euphoria of, wow, the next two months is going to be a bunch of creativity and, and interaction with the community. So uh, I'm so looking forward to it, man. I've described it as the best week of the year. And I, I said that knowing my family might listen. But no, it's it's seriously like you go and it you you get fired up. Um, it's something that most of us, or at least most of the sort of more active members of the community are passionate about, both in terms of their job and in terms of their lives. They carry this over. But also you're getting to hang out with you know people that share the same enthusiasm. And as adults, that's really hard to do. It's really hard to make friends that have similar interests. So you're sort of getting to go to like nerd summer camp for a week. It's, it's awesome. It, it's phenomenal. And I'm trying to, you know, a lot of people ask, like, what makes it so special? Like, why do other companies not have equivalent communities and um, kind of um, anticipation for conferences that are organized by a company? And, and at my answer, it's the people. I think it's the data fam that uh, is just so loving and so inclusive. Um, so even if you're not really part of the data fam, I would encourage you to reach out to people like Zach and, and other Zen masters that are just phenomenal at explaining what the product does, why the community is important, and hopefully help you get on board as well. Yeah, man. So um, as we wrap up now, is there anyone you would like to shout out or anything you would like to promote? Oh, my God. Ooh. <sighs> I'll get my wrap it up music ready if you go long. Just so, <laughs> so I'll say this: I, I definitely want to give a shout out to a couple of people that have helped me develop my understanding of myself and my and the product uh, over the past three years, and they're all part of the community. Uh, so first of all, um, it's it's Bethany Lyons. Bethany is, for those that don't know, an amazing um, colleague of mine within Tableau. She's she used to, she's done so many things. She used to be a product consultant, sales consultant, now she's a product manager in the development team. And Bethany is just like an absolute gem and, and, and genius at, um, at Tableau. So she has helped me push my understanding of the product and my assumptions. So I'm, I'm really grateful to her for that. And then also, man, like I, I hold so dear to my heart, uh, Jonathan Drummy. He's just such a sweetheart and 
another genius in the community. And uh, I just love talking to him. I love interacting with him on Slack because he just will stay up late and send you ideas and deconstruct concepts that you're struggling with. So big shout out to Jonathan. And lastly, uh, the Flourish twins, because they're also just phenomenal. And uh, lately we've been working closer together as uh, I'm having questions about kind of the problems we should be tackling next. So I, I, I think we the interactive analytics team wouldn't be here without those people. And um, I wouldn't have learned what I've learned without them thus far. So thank you. Amazing. Thank you for coming on today, Philippos. It's been a lot of fun and uh, I know everyone's going to enjoy this. Totally. Thank you so much, Zach. I really appreciate it. Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks to your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3 and you can get more if you choose or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network. Thank you.